Good morning. This beautiful day. Whoa. Oh, hello. On this beautiful day. <clears throat> you may have wondered why I turned around to look behind me when I was walking up. <laughs> the last two times I tried to get to the ball, but the boss caught me before I got here. <laughs> and I never made it. You can see how deep they had to go into the bullpen this morning to get a speaker. Remember the first time I told you that I spoke, Jeff put a bottle of five-hour energy on my desk and said, be sure you drink this before you preach. But he was more subtle today. He met with the ushers and he said, if Dave's voice starts to waver and his legs start to shake, just get up there and catch him before he goes down. But make sure somebody reads the rest of the sermon to the congregation. So... Uh, Yesterday, our president declared a, uh, a declaration of a day of prayer today for the people of Texas. And so as we open with prayer, we want to remember the people of Texas as well. So pray with me this morning as we begin. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are sovereign. You are the Lord Almighty. Heaven and earth, Lord, are filled with your glory. And there is nothing you can't do. As we come together today, Lord, to uh, hear your word, we thank you for the power of your word. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, for our friends, for the people of Texas today, that you might encourage them in the rebuilding of their cities, their homes, things that have been destroyed. Father, we thank you for the cooperation and harmony in our country of so many people who have contributed to rescue efforts and who will contribute to rebuilding efforts, who have given money in many places. Father, truly, we are a bountiful and a blessed country, and we thank you for that. And Lord, as we hear your word this morning, your word is alive, an act of mightier than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we pray that it would discern our hearts today. Father, as we hear it, that we might be blessed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk today about uh, prayer. An old English evangelist named Leonard Ravenhill said these words, Pastors who are not praying are playing, P-L-A-Y-I-N-G. And Christians who are not praying are straying. If you are trying to live your life on a minimum prayer life, your Christian life is on life supports. It seems like a harsh word, and yet prayer is so vital to us as believers. It is so important to us in our relationship with God. If we are not talking to God, we are not living in the relationship that he wants us to have. I can't tell you how many wives say this to me. I wish my husband would just talk to me. I wish he would just talk to me. Husbands, listen to that. Because if you're not talking to your wives, you're not talking to the Lord either. Prayer in its most basic form is simply talking to God. However, the Bible shows us that prayer is a serious work of God as well. A work that requires both time and energy. 
Prayer is not a spiritual gift. It's a command of the Lord so that everyone is able to do it. And throughout our history, we see that some people have become much more effective prayers than others. So one of the goals that we have as believers want to have an effective prayer life. In uh, James 5.17, he says this, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Let's note that he said he prayed earnestly. The word means fervently, fervently, and with passion. And you remember the man who followed him. The man who followed him was named Elisha. And Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elijah left the world in a fiery chariot. And when he went up, he dropped his mantle. And Elisha picked that mantle up. He rolled it up and he slapped it on the Jordan River and said, where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Elijah? He immediately put before the Lord his desire to have the power that Elijah had. We have some Elishas in our day. This comes from Pastor Ed Delf, who lived in the Great Smoky Mountains. A small congregation in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains built a new sanctuary on a piece of land willed to them by a church member. Ten days before the new church was to open, the local building inspector informed the pastor that the parking lot was inadequate for the size of the building. They would not be able to use the new sanctuary until the church doubled the size of the parking lot. Unfortunately, the church had used every inch of their land except for the mountain against which it had been built. In order to build more parking spaces, they would have to move the mountain behind the church. Undaunted, the pastor announced Sunday morning that he would meet that evening with all members who had mountain-moving faith. They would hold a prayer service asking God to remove the mountain from the backyard and to provide enough money to have it paved and painted before the dedication service. That evening, 24 of the congregation's 300 members assembled for prayer. They prayed for three hours. We'll open next Sunday as scheduled, said the pastor. God has never let us down before, and I believe he will be faithful this time. The next morning, as he was working in his study, there was a loud knock at his door. When the pastor opened the door, a tough-looking construction foreman appeared. Excuse me, Reverend, he said, I'm from the construction company over in the next county. We're building a new shopping mall over there, and we need some fill dirt. Would you mind selling us a chunk of that mountain behind the church? We'll pay for the dirt we remove and pave all the exposed area free of charge if we can have it right away. We can't do anything else until we get the dirt in and allow it to settle. The little church was dedicated the next Sunday as originally planned. There were far more members with mountain-moving faith on opening Sunday than there had been the previous week. The mountain-moving lesson here isn't that faith is the absence of, of doubt, but the presence of belief. When Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, one of the petitions included in that prayer was this, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God is done perfectly in heaven. But how does the will of God get from earth to heaven? From heaven to earth, rather. It gets there via prayer. 
It takes people who are willing to pray earnestly to bring the will of God from heaven to earth. And sometimes the will of God doesn't get to earth because no one prays. James said you have not because you ask not. And although God is sovereign, he doesn't rule against his word. We're going to look at two lessons in prayer this morning to help us with our prayer lives. The first one is in Mark chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. Jesus is speaking. He says, Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Oh, if we could only believe that. Only if we could bring that into the realization that God wants us to have. We don't have mountain-moving situations every day, do we? But every day, we receive prayer requests. People will say, well, would you pray for me? Would you pray about this? Could you pray for me? And so often we just uh, either don't do it or we usher those prayer requests up in sort of a an matter-of-fact way without really realizing what God wants us to do. And I'm just as guilty of that as everyone else. In these verses in Mark, Jesus gives us one of two lessons we want to learn about prayer today. And that first lesson is to pray in faith. You see, it isn't what you know about the Word of God that benefits you. It's what you believe about the Word of God that benefits you. The author of Hebrews says this in chapter 4, For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not combine it with faith. This is a large, open-ended promise from God. But very few verses in the Bible stand alone, and this one does not either. There is a modifier on it, and that comes from 1 John 5, 14, and 15, and it says this. This is the assurance we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. In other words, what we ask needs to be in the will of God for us. But the real lesson here is to ask in faith. And what is faith? What is faith? In its simplest terms, faith is believing what you cannot see. You're saved by faith, aren't you? Believing in a God that you've never seen. And we are connected to him by faith. Hebrews 11:6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. One of the biggest barriers for us in the United States is that we are so bountifully blessed we don't think that we need God. Why should I trust God when I have a 401k, when I have a bank account, when I have a big job? And it damages our faith. Because we need to learn how to trust God in faith and believe for what we cannot see. A month ago, Carol and I were at a family reunion in North Dakota, Minnesota border. 
My dad's one of 12 children, and I have 53 first cousins in that family, and I am the third oldest. My cousin Tim, middle 50s, took me aside at the reunion, and he said, I'd like to tell you my story. He said, a year ago, I lived in Colorado Springs, and I wasn't feeling well, and I went into the doctor to see what was wrong, and they diagnosed me with cancer, terminal cancer. In fact, he said, they told me I had so much cancer they wouldn't treat me. They just told me to go home and die. And so that's what I decided to do. Tim has five sisters. They were all at the reunion. When the five sisters heard it, they said, they live close together. We're going to get together every day and pray for Tim. They got together every day for the next 30 days, and they prayed for Tim. And after 30 days, they called Tim and his wife in Colorado and said, Tim, we're going to come out and get you, and we're going to move you home so you can be close by us. And so that's what they did. The girls kept praying. And they got to Minnesota, and they said, Tim, why don't you call Mayo Clinic? You can go to the Mayo Clinic. Maybe they will take you and see if they could help you. And so Tim called the Mayo Clinic, and much to his surprise, they accepted him immediately. When Tim got to the Mayo Clinic, they confirmed the diagnosis that he had received in Colorado, terminal cancer all through your body. But they said one more thing, we'll, we'll try to treat you and we'll take you as far as we can go. And so they began to treat Tim, went in for the first two checkups and they discovered that the, the medicine was not doing any benefit, wasn't helping the cancer. He went in for the third checkup and Tim was totally cancer-free. The doctors were absolutely amazed. They could not believe it. They said, Tim, we don't know what to tell you. And Tim said, I know what to tell you. And he gave him the same answer he gave me. My sisters prayed. They never stopped. And they asked God to heal me, and he did. And Tim is cancer-free today and praising God for the miracle. Being free of cancer isn't in the will of God for everybody, but his sisters prayed earnestly. They told me they just believed God wanted to heal him. And they prayed for him. Remember the story of Peter's imprisonment in Acts 12. Herod had put uh, uh, James, the brother of John, to the sword and killed him, and he got such a good public reaction that he imprisoned Peter. And the saints began to pray. They gathered earnestly to pray every day. It says in Acts 12, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Earnestly praying implies two things. It implies devoting time and believing that God will do what he said. And so uh, you remember the story. The night before Peter was supposed to be uh, brought to trial, an angel visited Peter in jail, and boom, the, the chains fell off his hands and fell off his feet, and the door opened, and the angel walked Peter out of the building, out of the jail, and Peter thought he was dreaming. And they got out on the street, and the angel disappeared. And Peter went to the home of the place where the saints were praying for him, and he knocked on the door, and a little girl said, I can hear Peter's voice outside, and they said, no, you're crazy, that must be Peter's spirit. And Peter kept on knocking, and they opened the door, and there was Peter. And they praised God for answered prayer. They learned the church that night that God truly answers fervent prayer. Faith. 
We need to learn to pray believing. Lesson number two is found in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is speaking again and he says this, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. These are two more verses with a promise so large and important that it is absolutely necessary that we understand and know what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is giving to his disciples and to us the authority of his name. Do you understand how authority works? Let's say you wanted to buy a car, and you came to me and you said, do you know a car dealer? I want to buy a car, but I don't know where to go. And I'll, I'd say, sure, I know a guy, a dealer in town here. He goes to our church. I'll give him a call. And so I call him up, and I say to him, well, Sam, Dave is coming down to buy a car. And he said to me, well, tell me something about him. Will he pay his bill? Is his credit any good? Can I trust him? I mean, what kind of integrity does he have? And I say to Dave, listen, or Sam, listen, he's got it all. I back him completely. You give him whatever he needs because he's good. And so the next day he goes down there to see Sam, and he introduces himself to Sam. And what's the next thing he says to him? He says, Dave sent me. What is he doing? He is using the authority of my name. Sam doesn't know who he is, but I have given him the authority of my name. And in the authority of that name, he is able to get what he needs. And Jesus uh, has the most powerful name in the whole universe. Jesus stood in a boat and he raised his hands and he spoke to the wind and the waves on the authority of his name. And the storm was stilled. He called a dead man out of the grave. And he woke up and he obeyed. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we pray here in church, when you pray privately, when you pray in groups, how do we end our prayers? How do we close those prayers? We pray in Jesus' name, in the name of the Son, in Christ's name. Why do we do that? You know what you're going to tell me? You just read the verses that said you're supposed to do it, so you do it. But that's only, you only get half credit for that. <laughs> the real answer is this. We have no right or worthiness, or anything of value in us to come before the throne of God on our own and ask him for anything. Nothing. Human pride would like to tell us that we can approach the throne of God on our own, but we cannot. Where is Jesus right now, besides being inside your heart? He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And what is he doing? He is interceding for us. He is interceding for us because we cannot come on our own. You know, when we pray, our prayers literally rise to the throne of God. So I'm on my knees in the morning and I'm knocking on the throne room and God says, who is it? And I say, it's Dave Mahler. And he says, I don't know you. Oh, 
I better knock again. Who is it? Father, I'm coming in the name of your son today. My name is Dave Mahler. He said, oh, you're one of my children. Come into the throne room. You are welcome here today. You see, we can't do it on our own. We are not acceptable on our own. It's not a method. It's not a magic trick. It's an, it's an command that God has given us that we are to come in the name of Jesus. You know, I'm a, um, a NASCAR fan. I won't tell you who I cheer for, but <clears throat> NASCAR is one of the few places where they open with a, a prayer. Every race opens with a prayer. And when that guy gets up and prays, you know what I listen for at the end of his prayer? Did he pray in the name of Jesus? You know, if he prays to God, he can be praying to any God, any God at all. But when he gets done praying and he said, we ask this in the name of Jesus, I know who he's praying to. In Luke 10, Jesus sent 72 of his disciples out on an experimental journey to preach the gospel heal the sick, and cast out demons. When they came back, this is what they said in Luke 10, 17 through 19. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He, that is Jesus, replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. What is that authority? The authority of his name. To trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Do you realize that all of your thoughts are not your own? Thoughts get into your mind at least two ways. There are three ways. You can think up thoughts on your own. Satan can put thoughts in your mind, but he cannot read your mind. And God can put thoughts in your mind. When you think up a thought on your own, you talk to yourself in the first person. I'm going to do this. I've got this appointment today. I've got to go here. And you can unthink your own thoughts. When Satan talks to you, he has to talk to you in the second person. It sounds like this. Nobody understands you. Nobody loves you. You say you're a Christian, but you don't read the Bible enough. You say you're a believer, but I know that you're doing pornography. And when Satan puts a thought in our mind, we cannot unthink it because it's not our own. Remember when Jesus was talking to to, uh, his disciples and he was telling them that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and be beaten and crucified and killed. And Peter took him aside and started to rebuke him and said, Lord, I will never let this happen to you. Jesus looked Peter right in the eye and what did he say to him? He said, out of my sight, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus was looking right at Peter, but who was he talking to? He was talking to the enemy. When Satan puts a thought in our mind, we can't unthink it. And that tape recorder starts to play and you push it away, but it doesn't go away. But God has given us an answer and the authority of Jesus' name to deal with those thoughts. It's in James chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so he has given you and I the authority 
in the name of Jesus, to say to those thoughts, I command you to leave me in Jesus' name. Because in the name of Jesus, Satan has been defeated. And if we understand that, and if we know that, but if you don't know what it means to you to have the authority of Jesus' name, if you don't understand that, there is no power in your life. There is no work in your life. What a great gift he has given us. One of three weapons to defeat the enemy, the authority of Jesus' name. As I counsel people, I don't give them advice. We pray for answers. We pray earnestly. We pray fervently. We pray in the name of Jesus because Jesus has answers, answers that I cannot give. Don would let me share his story with you. Don was referred to me by someone who uh, he worked with, who goes to Highland. And when Don came in to see me, this is what he said. He said, I haven't been in a church in 26 years. I've been married 26 years and I'm three months into a divorce. I'm estranged from my two adult daughters. I have issues with anger, and when I get angry, I drink. And sometimes on my way home from work tonight, on work at night, my mind tells me, don't feed me when you get home. Just put alcohol in me. And then Don looked at me, and this is what he said. He said, my friend said, you could fix me. <laughs> no, I can't fix anybody. But I know who can fix anybody. It was obvious that Don wasn't a Christian, and so I began by talking to him about the gospel, telling him that he had been born in sin, and that sin brought into his life a death penalty that he could not pay for. But Jesus Christ had paid for that death penalty. And if he would believe in Jesus, he could be saved. I took out a list of 20 moral sins, and I put it in front of Don, and I said, check off everything you've done on this list. And he checked off quite a number of sins. And we began to pray, and we prayed for each sin individually. Lord, forgive me for doing this. Take away the ground I gave to the enemy in my bitterness. And I yield that ground to your control. Don had been abused by his dad. He had a lot of bitterness in his heart for his wife. I talked to him about how to forgive his father. He would have to do that. And how to forgive his wife. And he was willing to do that. And after that was all done, I said, Don, would you like to pray to receive Jesus as your Savior? And he said, yes, I would. And he bowed his head, and we prayed together. When Don raised up his head, he looked at me and he said, I'm different. I've never felt like this in my entire life. If you would have told me two hours ago I'd have felt like this, I wouldn't have believed you. And I explained to Don that the Holy Spirit was living within his heart. And God had transformed his heart. Don came in to see me the next week, and this is what he said. I now realize in 26 years, I have never loved my wife a single day of our marriage. And now I want our marriage back more than anything else I've ever wanted in my life. The next week, he brought his wife along with him. We talked to her about Jesus and forgiving her husband. The third week, he came in, he said this. The first night I went home, I took all my alcohol and I poured it down a toilet. And this week I sold the bar in my basement and my friends can't understand what's happened to me. 
And I called my adult daughter in Madison. And I said to her, Honey, I'd like to talk to you. And she said, Dad, what's happened to you? You've changed. And they reconciled over the phone. The last week, they both came in and said, we went to our attorneys this week and we tore up our divorce papers. Only Jesus Christ can transform a human heart. Only in the power of Jesus' name can you find such healing and such grace. Only as we pray to God, believing. I explained to Don the first night, everything you asked the Lord to do, he did. Because he truly wanted to change, and he prayed in faith. And we prayed in the powerful name of Jesus. In Matthew 28, Matthew closes his book with some of the last recorded words of Jesus, where he says this to his disciples and us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go. We know what he's talking about, don't we? There is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. We do not go on our own. We are ambassadors of the King of Kings and have been given the authority of his Son's name. I hope we begin to realize what a wonderful gift the Lord has given us. There's an old Christian song named Freely. And the last line of the chorus goes like this. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. Let's pray. Father, what an awesome, almighty God you are. You have given us faith by the power of your Holy Spirit. You have given us the authority of your Son's name that we might stand victorious upon this earth. O Lord, help us to learn to pray. Help us to learn to pray for others. Help us to learn to pray, Lord, in our conversation with you. Help us, Father, to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave.